You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome into the Win or Hughes Podcast, a Bay Area sports podcast. And we put a heavy focus on the Oakland A's because we are all about timing here at Winter Hughes. Picking a good time to launch a podcast that has a heavy focus on the Oakland A's when they are the worst team in baseball, have the worst record in baseball by a big margin. And also talking about moving out of town. So, you know, make sure you listen to us because we obviously know what we're doing here. But Rick, uh, we often focus on this Oakland A's team that we're kind of getting to that point in the season where each week the story seems to be about the same. You know, the team's still not getting a lot of wins, but there are some young players that are worth talking about that are doing something notable on not just a local level, but just a league-wide level. And so... We want to get into that. We want to get into Ryan Noda and Estuary Ruiz. We want to get into kind of the adjustment period that Brent Rooker and guys like J.J. Bladé are going through and, you know, the emergence of Nick Allen. And, of course, we're going to talk about the latest with the A's situation and, you know, the potential window that exists for the A's to stay in Oakland and some developments that are happening in Vegas and stuff that's going to happen this week that could maybe kind of keep the window open a little bit more for the A's having a chance to stay in Oakland. But we're going to start with the team before we get into the uh, stadium situation and kind of more of the same. You know, it's like the the margin of error for this A's team is razor thin. So even when they play kind of a competitive game like we saw on Saturday against the Astros, they're right there in it, and it's one bad pitch kind of derails everything, or they're just not good enough to have any kind of margin of error where you're like, oh, we can miss an opportunity. You have to take advantage of each and every one because that's kind of where they are with their talent level right now. You know, I'm back to the negative mood, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah. today. But it's Switching roles little, back, yeah. Yeah, it's been a little frustrating, you know, as a fan because the the point of this is entertainment and you, you are seeing some good baseball. You are seeing some good things here or there. Um, but you're still just seeing a lot of losses. And as a fan... When you tune in as something that this is supposed to be something I enjoy, like nobody enjoys losing and nobody enjoys watching them continue to lose. So that that part continues to be uh, frustrating. You know, um, I know we were joking about, hey, this is the time to start the A's podcast, right? But without this time, you know, like the A's haven't been getting uh, national attention, right? And now with this kind of thing, they are kind of getting national attention. Yeah. So uh, we're we're out at the forefront of it. You're right. I mean, I sent you the link. The guys from Barstool Sports were even jumping on this. You're seeing national podcasts, the DA show talking about this, and it's getting a lot of attention. And I think what's important is when the A's are getting national attention for their stadium situation, that it's no longer that low-hanging fruit that we've been talking about in other podcasts where everyone's just like, well, the fans aren't showing up. They need this, blah, blah. You know, it was just kicking a dead horse for so many years, a decade, two decades of just going with this narrative over and over and over again. And now the way things have gone with the threat of the A's actually leaving for Vegas, everyone's kind of looking in this, coming to the same conclusion. It's not the fans. It is the owner. It is the ownership and the way that they are doing things. And you just go down this list and check off, you know, all of the bad things that they are doing are leading to people not showing up. And we had two games this last week that drew just over 2,000 fans. I even talked to somebody uh, who worked for the A's and they said that there was probably closer to 1,400 people that were actually there at one of those games that I think uh, had an attendance number of just over 2,000. I think it was like 
2049. And he said it was probably around 1,400 people that were actually there for the game. I was wa- uh, listening to Tuesday's game on uh, A's cast and the stadium just sounded empty. Um, I think, I don't know who was pitching, but it was either a wild pitch or a pass ball, but it went all the way to the backstop and you heard every part of it you know there was no fan noise covering any of that up so we need some controversy so we can have like a john boy thing because he won't even have to do the lip reading he'll just be able to just hear it on the yeah mics. yeah everything right there is like uh edit that out yeah edit that out <laughs> censor that yeah no it's uh it's been more of the same i will say though um because you know i, I like to watch a little soccer here on the side too I've been seeing a lot of A's hats, and one was at the uh, Manchester City-Real Madrid game, and then I had a couple buddies watching the Liverpool-Aston Villa game, and they sent a picture. They caught a fan out there in A's gear. So, you definitely can't say the A's don't have fans. The A's have fans worldwide. You don't even have to go that far back to think about it. I mean, I, I think it was earlier this week I heard Jesus Luzardo talking about his favorite moment in the big leagues was... 2019 pitching in that wild card game in Oakland against the Rays. I mean, the the A's obviously lost that game, but he talked about that atmosphere. I was there covering that game. When the A's are good, the fans show up and they pack that Coliseum. We've heard guys like Justin Verlander, a future Hall of Famer, talk about the environment inside the Coliseum when you've got 60,000, you know, ravenous fans waving towels and going crazy. That atmosphere doesn't exist in a bubble. It has to be nurtured. You have to do something from the ownership side. And this is the opposite of that. We've always been saying that, I think, every podcast, that the fans will come if you give them something to go for, whether that's a competitive team and we know that they'll get there and they'll pack the Coliseum, or we started saying, give some, you know, discount baseball. And and we have seen the A's um, give some discount baseball with that, that summer... Uh, package right with like 99 bucks for almost 40 games or something that's less than that now um yeah. but i don't think it was as popular as they were hoping right because the initial email was like hey there's going to be a wait list and then they were saying hey this is only available for a limited time but the other side of that is i don't think fans are as eager to rush in knowing that you know there's still this threat of them leaving and you're still going to go pay for the second most expensive hot dog in all of Major League Baseball, according to USA Today, <laughs> at almost $8 for a hot dog, where Costco is going to give you that thing and a soda for $1.50 there. So, you know, you're, you're getting a discount seat, but they're still charging you 30 bucks to park, and they're still charging you the second most expensive hot dog in the league. So, no, we're, we're definitely seeing that. And then I think the other thing we're seeing from the ownership group is what's going on in Vegas. All of a sudden, it was a sure thing. They were moving, and we were all upset. We were all kind of in mourning, talking about how the community's in mourning and and finding a community, getting together with people just to kind of feel a little better. Then that deal fell through. Now there's another deal coming up, but they're still about $200 away. So what is going on? Yeah, we were talking about this kind of as a joke a couple weeks ago that the A's are really trying to give the people of Las Vegas the full ballpark saga experience and cram it all into one year rather than stretch it out over 20 years. But 
It's really interesting because everything the A's have done in Vegas really backs up the idea that this was not their plan when things fell apart with Oakland. They had that week-long negotiation session planned, and after like the first day, I think it was coming into day two, the A's called up you know, the mayor and let them know, hey, we're doing this land deal. We've got this binding. Binding in quotes has been the 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 deal we've heard from the A's that we've got this land deal in Vegas. We wanted you to know about it. And I really think they were trying to use that as leverage to try and get their deal done. And they weren't anticipating that Oakland was ready to walk away and did not want to negotiate with a gun to their head under the threat of this. And they walked away and they ended the negotiation right then and there. And the A's then had to go to scramble mode because now they've got, oh man, we've actually got to put a plan together in Vegas. We weren't ready for that. And everything they've done since then backs up the idea that they were not ready for that. They, their first land site where they had the idea of like, okay, we're going to build it here. We're still going to do the entertainment site. Well, that's gone because like a week later, they announced another binding agreement at a different site. And what's happened now, these have gone from, we're going to build housing and hotels and a concert venue and build this whole complex to, yeah, no, we're going to be good with just nine acres and we're going to find a way to somehow build this tiny little stadium and it'll be fine. We'll be fine just having the stadium, not having an entertainment district, not having these other things around to support it and just making a much smaller investment. And to your point, the A's were reportedly $88 million apart on that complex in Oakland that was going to have a stadium and hotels and, you know, have the, the concert venue there. That all fell apart that week with the A's announcing their first binding land deal. Now, with their new agreement at the Tropicana site, they're going to build on nine acres a proposed $1.5 billion stadium. Just a stadium, just a ballpark, nothing else. Everything else is going to be controlled by the group that owns that site, and the A's are just going to be like a feature on that site and just have the ballpark. And now the sides are about $200 million from what we heard apart everything that the a's have done i think should make the people of las vegas the citizens and the legislature concerned that hey get your plan together and come and see us and don't put the onus on us that it's like hey we got this if you act quickly you can get a major league baseball team looking at the two paths and the parallel paths and going out there to vegas i think the feeling was was that they were really wanted in Las Vegas. And then when they've kind of made that announcement, now that they're kind of finding out, I agree with you that it's kind of making it seem like that wasn't really the the play they wanted to do. And they probably overplayed their hand. And we're seeing that with that late announcement for these summer deals for, you know, 99 bucks to see almost 40 games. And still with that announcement, hearing that this stadium's got less than 2,000. And I didn't see it, but you can hear it on the radio. It is just empty out there. So I think now, you know, they're they're trying to do whatever they can to cut their losses. And the thing is, is to hear the mayor of Oakland would still reopen negotiations. And if they did, those $99 tickets would be gone like that. If the A's really did give an indication that they were looking to stay, people would be definitely more invested. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to stay away from the A's until they have a different ownership group. I think there's a lot of people that really feel burned 
by this current ownership group and, you know, kind of the double speak that we've heard from Dave Cavill and John Fisher. Well, not from John Fisher because we never hear from him, but in that same vein, I think there's a lot of people that are going to stay away. And that is why I'm really excited for the reverse boycott that's still planned for June 13th mm-hmm. to pack that in. I think it will have an even bigger impact when you see how small these crowds are, that the fans are really flexing mm-hmm. their voice. They're going out there with, you know, they're announcing 2000. Is it really 1400? You know, and all of a sudden, if the A's do have one of those days on June 13th with this reverse boycott, when, you know, even if it's 20,000 and you don't even sell out and you're not able to, you know, really get 60,000 out there, but you got 20,000, that is really going to show that the A's fans are here, that they can support this, that they're ready for this, and that what they've been saying. We are not the problem here. And that you're coming to a place where Major League Baseball, with their commissioner, Rob Manfred, whose job is to defend the owners. That's what he that's his job. He's not on your side. He's on baseball's side, but really he's on the owner's side. He, that's who he works for. But you're gonna show him that, hey, despite everything that you've been saying, it is not the A's fans that are the problem here. It is not the city of Oakland that is the problem. And now it's not going to be Vegas and Clark County. That's the problem. You have gotten this where you're looking around and be like, well, what is the problem here? What is it? What is the common denominator? That's a problem. That's keeping this product from flourishing in the city. And you're going to have no other conclusion to be like, it's the guy that we made owner. It's the guy that we put in, you know, kind of with uh, Bud Selig's frat buddy and not really in the best interest of what a team in Oakland should be having. And you're coming to this conclusion that, you know, John Fisher is getting to the point where it's like, hey, are you sure you're able to be an owner? Do you really want to do this? Because it's come to put up or shut up time with your finances and you are consistently being like, uh, you know what? I got to look at this other deal over here. Uh, checks in the mail. Just uh, give me a second. I got to move some money around. I'm not liquid. You wonder what people's end result is, right? And obviously ownership and fans have different goals and what people want, right? As fans, we make the assumption that the point of owning a sports team is to go win a championship. No, it's and about making money. <laughs> that is exactly what it's about. And sometimes... Fans are really lucky where they have an ownership group that makes the money. And, you know, sports are are a very lucrative business. And on top of that, they want to win, right? And it's almost like those two things go together. Like if you're winning, people will be more invested and maybe you'll make more money. Um, I don't know. I've never owned a sports team. I think we see with John Fisher is that, no, his goal is not winning. He's had a winning team where if you took like the, the, and I'm not even talking about going back to 2012, 2013, 2014, not even Donaldson, but I'm just saying you, you take the A's top guys from like 2016 to about 2020 and you kept those top guys what kind of lineup would the A's be putting out there right now? So if you wanted to win, you would have held on to a whole lot of those guys. There are at least five all-stars out there. And so that's clearly not what the, the goal is. And you can see it with the quality of the team that's currently out there. So maybe that you say the argument's been, oh, I've been waiting for the new stadium. I've been waiting for the new stadium. No, you have it. Because look what's happening. You keep saying, oh, I have a stadium. I have a stadium. No, you don't. 
So it's just, what is John Fisher's goal here? And it seems to be making money, which he's doing anyway. From what the team is worth now, from what he invested in when he bought into it, it's gone up exponentially. And it's just so frustrating as a fan to know that you have no control about it. He has all this control and he doesn't care about winning and he doesn't care about staying in the city. How much is John Fisher going to need to be given by a city to build a ballpark and to get a deal done and to actually move a project forward beyond just renderings on a piece of paper? And latest in Vegas, he's been given the land. He's got it for free. And they're going to do about $180 million of improvement on the site. In addition to that, the A's want to build a $1.5 billion ballpark. And they are looking for about $500 million. Now it's kind of come down to about $400 million. And they're still about $200 million apart, where now they're going to need that from the county to try and fund this. And rightfully so, the county is concerned about the same thing that the city of Oakland was concerned with, that if there is a gap in the tax district... And the bond measures that are being talked about with this, you know, who's going to be on the hook? And here in Oakland, the city and the city councilors had done a good job trying to make sure that everything they did protected the general fund, that if there was a shortfall in that tax district, that it would fall on the A's. And Clark County and the city of Vegas wants to make sure that same thing happens because they don't want to be on the hook for what could potentially be a shortfall in the kind of revenue the A's are hoping will be generated by a new ballpark, then that we'll be able to prove that will be generated by their ballpark and not because other people are already coming to Vegas and they're not going to get the same deal that the Raiders did. And concerning, I think, to the people of Vegas is they've already had to dip into the fund that was the backstop for these new monies that they were putting forward for Allegiant Stadium. And that was because of the pandemic and people not being able to show up in the stadium, not being able to generate any revenue, but to protect their tax base, they had to build and fund money that could then be put towards that shortfall. They already did that with the Raiders. They don't want to do it again with another team like the Oakland A's, especially because the Oakland A's have a track record of, like you said, not investing money into their team. Well, let's try and switch this around and let's focus on the team. So we are almost at the half. Well, we're, we're beyond the halfway. We're past the quarterway mark. Yeah. Beyond the halfway point to the all-star break. So yeah, the quarterway point. Yeah. So who is your halfway all-star from what we've seen? It's Brent Rooker. Yeah. It's, it's Brent Rooker. Rooker, huh? Okay. So let's yeah. say you had two all-stars who are your all-stars yeah the a's will get one all-star right like every team gets one yeah. everybody, gets, everybody one. gets one everybody gets like spider-man saves everybody gets one and so Brent rooker right now is going to be your all-star he's clearly been the best player on the team he's an interesting guy because right now he's going through a little bit of the adjustment you know he was so hot last month and you know teams are attacking him a little different they're really challenging him inside like we've seen the astros do how is he going to handle that adjustment? Is he going to kind of come back to the mean and come back to earth a little bit? Yeah, probably. And that's what we're seeing right now. So Brent Rooker is your all-star. There's two other good players that you can kind of count on right now. It's Ryan Noda and Estuary Ruiz. And we've gotten a chance to see a lot of the Ruiz run coming to fruition. And the A's are stacking that lineup right now with, hey, we're going to have Ruiz leading off. Noda, you're going to be second unless we're facing a tough lefty. And then it's going to be Brent Rooker. 
Those are the three guys that they really feel they can count on. And on Saturday's game against the Astros, we should have had two Ruiz runs. He got on base with a single, stole second. A throwing error allows him to take third. You got Ryan Noda, one of your best hitters up at the plate. He's just got to put the ball in place. One, he did. He's got the easy run. The second one, he winds up striking out, expanding the zone a little high, and that has been a problem for him with the strikeouts. But, you know, what you're wondering is, after those three guys, who can establish themselves in this lineup? Because you're getting J.J. Bleday getting a lot of opportunity. Nick Allen getting a lot of opportunity. Who are the guys that are going to come next? Because it's every week we talk about it. It's Ruiz, it's Noda, it's Rooker, and a big giant question mark. So let's say the rules were a little bit different and you get to take one all-star uh, and, and that's Rooker and you get one all-star pitcher. Who's your pitcher? Who's Wait, going? Plays for another team. You know, everybody like, gets one. Yeah, everybody gets one pitcher. I'd say at let's that point... Say, it, let's say those were the rules. Yeah, at that point I would say it'd be J.P. Sears. I think he has kind of established himself as the most consistent starter the A's have had and maybe their most consistent pitcher... Uh, you know, it's been tough on this bullpen. He's just lost Zach Jackson for an injury. He's going on the injured list probably for at least four weeks. They were hoping that Trevor May, Zach Jackson, and Danny Jimenez were going to be that your back of the uh, bullpen, and that was going to shorten the game. All three of those guys on the injured list. And who would you say is another guy that the A's have established? I don't really know. I mean, it's been up and down, and I think... You've seen some good things. Luis uh, uh, Medina has had two strong starts in that Mason Miller role because he was by far the best pitcher the A's have had before he got hurt. But I'd say for me, it's going to be, I'll steal the easy answer and force a tougher one on you because I would say it's J.P. Sears. But when you're watching this, Rick, is there a guy that you feel most confident when the A's put him out there that this is our best chance for a win this turn through the rotation? You know, I, I... Waldachuk is just kind of up and down, but I feel like he he's getting yeah. some W's, you know. But I I would no way say like oh well he's not getting W's because nobody know what W's right. But W's. there's no way I'd go like yeah let, let he'll be all our all star here, you know. Um, the pitching has just been really rough. I'm with you. Probably Rooker is the guy, and if I had an alternate, it would be Ruiz just because he's so exciting. I think uh, Noda is really productive. I just, like, Ruiz is just so fun to watch, you know? Um, so I that's the part that I would enjoy. He's got kind of that highlight reel factor. So that's what I would probably say for that. My next question kind of moves away from the all-star category and goes, what do we do with Shintaro Fujinami? What's the next move? I think the next move is they're going to leave him in the bullpen right now. They've invested, you know, for the A's quite a bit of money into him. And they want to keep that relationship going because you do see the talent. You do see how quickly it falls apart. And they're trying something new. And, you know, we kind of gloss over the transition that he's making from Japan to the American Leagues. Because you're trying to see how that skill set translate to the big league game. But part of the difference is how those guys prepare and how they think through it. And, you know, I saw a couple interesting pieces as the A's have been working with Fujinami in these sessions where what they're having him think about when he's on the mound. You know, he used to be about where the pitch went and following where that went and thinking about it. Now, he's trying to repeat a process and focus on his movement and focus on repeating that movement and 
executing that pitch all the way through from when it leaves his finger pit, uh, fingertips. Because once it's done that, it's no longer in his control. And that you've given up control about that. So you think about it all the way until it's out of your hand. And then, you know, it's God's good graces and Shay Langelier's mitt. And that's really what they're trying to get him to do. And so you got to think about him, despite his 10 years of experience, like this is a rookie. And you're going to ride some of those mm-hmm. ups and downs because, yeah, has he been maybe the worst pitcher in the A's this year? Yeah, other than the way that James Caprillion started this season. But I think they're going to ride out Fujinami. And for better or for worse, it's because they're so bad that they can't. Because you only have 10 wins, you know, like oh, yeah. at some level, ideally for the A's, they were hoping that Fujinami would establish himself in some role and maybe make himself a, a trade chip. Because you talked about the All-Star. The trade deadline's been pushed back, you know, into the last CBA. It's now later in the year. But you're hoping at some point that you've got some of these veteran guys that maybe aren't going to be around become attractive trade chips because it's going to be about the youth. So is that Jesus Aguilar? Does Jace Peterson or let Miss Diaz become something that another team would be interested in? It. I mean... If Trevor May comes back, could he reestablish himself in a role that you might be able to trade him later in the year and get some interesting pieces back? Right now, you look at the veterans. We've talked about their struggles. I would say that minimal interest at best from another team that you'd be basically giving these veterans away. Who else do you think could be uh, traded away for pieces that may be a little more under the radar? Maybe Ramon. Ramon Laureano. Uh, as a guy that you, you could consider, I mean, another guy they might think about, which is kind of the wild card, is a guy that's caught fire and really been a rock star for the A's is Carlos Perez. The catcher, he was an afterthought. You know, they thought it was going to be Manny Pena and Langoliers, and Carlos Perez has forced the issue with what he's done with his bat and the way he's handled defense and, you know, looked really good as a, as a solid major leaguer. Almost every team would love to have a solid catcher, and so... You know, I don't know how much you'd get for him, but that's a guy I think. And his versatility. Yeah. He's a catcher at first and base and he's even yeah. pitched. Yeah. So don't don't forget about that. He's he's your go-to guy. I was just gonna ask you, is there anybody beyond, you know, the big three for the A's that you get excited to watch? And when I say the big three, I'm just talking about Rooker and Ruiz and Noda as those guys that have really kind of stood out because even a guy like Langoliers, his biggest impact so far this year has been the way he's thrown out runners. Because his bat has been up and down and hasn't been what we, we saw at the end of last season that made you really excited for this guy. Lede looks like he's got potential to kind of make that a big four. Um, and then, you know, uh, seeing Nick Allen hit that jack the other night, that, you know, that made me really excited. We know he's got uh, a glove there. If he can get that bat turned on, and not that you're expecting Nick Allen to be your power hitter, but, uh, you know, as long as he can get that bat turned on and, you know, get those balls put in play. um, And, you know, when I was watching Nick Allen come up, it kind of seemed for a little bit, just have him bunt, you know, like that's his best shot. And hopefully it's going to move somebody over, even with no one on, just have him bunt. Maybe he can leg it out. So, you, you know, that... That's not what you really can re- be relying on at major league hitting. So I got really excited seeing him hit that dinger there. So it, it would be great to see him come along. And then I guess, yeah, I, I think Blade has the potential to get into that Noda, Ruiz, Rooker conversation. I know he's going through the adjustment period right now himself, but I'm going to put this out there. 
a ranking of the most fun Bay Area athletes present to say. Number one, Sharks goalie Capo Kakoken. Number one on my list of fun names to say. Number two, JJ Bladé. Hey, Bladé. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I don't even think I could say the Sharks name one, and I'll have to work on this. I know this is a Bay Area Dude. sports podcast, so I'll... I'll tell you what, that one was one that was like, when you're doing updates on the air and you've got to read a name, like when the when the Sharks traded for him and you look at that name, it's like that SNL sketch when it was Chance the Rapper as the Knicks reporter has to cover as like covering the hockey reporting. And he's like, uh, so that's going to be like four vowels and uh, yeah, that answer is going to be a no. <laughs> like You're like, I'm not reading that on the air live. I'm going to have to go off and check that like, I remember when the 49ers got Kyle Juszczyk and you're like, oh, it looks like the 49ers have signed a new player and we'll tell you about that in the next update when I figure out how to say his last name. Esther Yuri Ruiz, when I have yeah. it, I'm on. It's like a streak. And then if I go cold, then uh, I, I, I fumble it bad. So, uh, you know, when you've got to like have something that's like a trigger to kind of get you back into rhythm with it is like for me i've got to hear ken korak do it yeah because he does it really well and like the key is you have to finish saying este Mm -hmm. and not try to like roll into the other sounds and then the hard part is because it ends with the r sound restarting an r sound because you can't roll into the double r at least i can well Kind of on that, uh, going to fun names to say, because uh, I know you just dug that out of the garage, but the old Mother's Cookies, Oakland A's, all cards, and finding the pack that had uh, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, and of course, Geronimo Barroa. I would say of the great Roy Steele calls, as we were a kid and you were in there and it was part of the ballpark experience, there were two names that always stood out to me. I mean, like there were great names. He did a great job with all of it, but it was Geronimo Barroa and Mike Bordick. And just the way that he finished off and like really hit the emphasis on like the K sound and like Mike Bordick, it like really hit it. Like I remember that like distinctly, you know? He does a, a good job of making the silence between the names yeah. really stand out. It's really loud silence. I'll give you another good one, which was uh, Ruben Sierra. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good I one. I mean, those three, like, beyond just, like, who they were on the field, you know, and, like, because obviously you want to hear Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. And, like, if all things were equal and you didn't look at these stats or, like, where they were, I would say that those names come to mind and like even a name like Scott Brocious is another name that I think I, I almost said <laughs> it. It was right. I was like, yeah, three's enough. We'll yeah. And, uh, yeah. Right there. Yeah. We'll have to work on our list and see if anybody else has any good names because there have been some great sure. ones. But yeah, yeah, those are ones that like off the top of my head, all things being equal. Those are the names. But number one, definitely Geronimo Burrow at the top of that list. Yeah. Geronimo Baroa, no, for sure. And I, I remember back in the day too, like the the giveaways. I I know I got the Chris Davis giveaway bat, where it's you know a pine color bat, and then they've got like painted on the A's emblem. But back in the day, I got a green wood bat. The whole bat yeah. was green, and it was Oakland A's was painted on in yellow. Um, that that was a really cool giveaway. Yeah, that was there were some great giveaways. The mother's cookie ones were interesting because they were the trading cards. So each pack had like 
you would have like three or four of one player and then the next mm-hmm. pack would have like three or four of a different player and the idea is like all right well i'm going to trade you you know this mike mcnante for you know your geronimo baroa and you're going to give it up but i don't think anybody really did that like so you just wound up with this pack where you've got like four skinny Jeremy Giambis, you know, like, well, and then they were giving them away. Like they give away these little like pendant things now. So if you did right, get it yeah. one time, you're like, I'll get it next time. I think I've got like three or four of those packs here at the house wow. and everything wow. like that. Like, yeah. Nice. And cause like you said, they gave them away like those little, uh, pendants and everything like that. So I would love to see the A's bring back some of those. The other one that I would like to see is the scorecards that you could get for each game. Like, how cool would that be to just, like, think back in the day when you got your kid there, I mean, even in these games when there's only 2,000, to have that scorecard when it's, like, your little kid handwriting and then go back and, like, look through what that game was and see those names, like, for you and me, it would have been going out and seeing, like, Ken Griffey Jr. and, like, you know, Tino Martinez, Edgar Martinez, and Jay Buhner facing an A's lineup with Ricky Henderson or something like that. And just having your little kid handwriting in there was like E six. <laughs> yeah. Shohei Otani. Yeah. 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 yeah they spelled Shohei rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff I think would be really cool, but you know, we're A's fans. So we have to settle for the fact that, Hey, they actually did a giveaway with a player this year. That was a bold move to have Tony Kemp on a poster and assume that you're going to have a player long enough to give something away rather than just do like a generic old school bobblehead because that's all you can count on. Have they done that in your memory where they've uh, had a player giveaway and then the player wasn't on the team by the time the giveaway came? Because I I feel like that's happened. That's happened a bunch of times. I, I don't have a specific one for the A's that I have to go through and like think about it, but I'm sure that it has happened for the A's, but that it happens with a lot of teams, you know, like, and I even remember there was some nights where like, I think it was like Billy Koch had something going on with like the Marlins when he was like with the Marlins and he was supposed to have like he he had hosted a day where he had brought like the boys and girls club out and like bought out a section to bring in that fan. And then he got like released by the team before that day came. And so he like showed up as a fan, still came to the game and like sat in the outfield and like heckled his former teammates with like the boys and girls club. You know? I, I can believe that about Billy Koch, you know, from uh, listening to the Vince Catronio, where are they now? He is a self-admitted, a kind of blue collar, get out there kind yeah. of guy. So I, I can see him going, okay, you're going to let me go. I'm showing up. If not, I'm going to let yeah. you know. So <laughs> I paid for these tickets and I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to kick me out of here too. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I, th- I think you're right, though, about this current team is like Nick Allen is the guy we're watching right now because, you know, Ruiz, Noda, Rooker, established. Everything else, you're looking for those young guys, whether that's Luis Mendina grabbing a rotation spot because there was talk that maybe he was going to wind up as a closer and a bullpen guy because of his control issues. But he's really locked that down and hasn't been walking a lot of people, knock on wood there, in his last two starts and looked very strong in those outings. J.P. Sears. Looks like a guy that's really kind of grabbed a rotation spot because there were talk coming into the season that he would be a guy working as maybe a long man out of the bullpen. And they've been, you know, good. And James Caprillion's going to get another chance this week to show he can bounce back and, you know, really be the guy that everyone was hoping for at the beginning of this season. So those are the things you watch. Nick Allen, the way that he's emerged and kind of been the A's best hitter coming off of this homestand, getting an opportunity where He's getting a chance to play every day and not just, hey, 
go out there and we'll see about tomorrow. It's like, hey, you get a day off, but don't worry about it. You're only getting one day off. You're going to be mm-hmm. back out there, bud, because your glove is that good. We need your defense. And as your bat is going to keep you in the lineup when you're hitting, you don't have to hit 425 each week. Don't worry. The pressure is not going to be that intense, but you also can hit 90. And I'm sure it does a lot for the confidence. And like you said, the pressure too, which we kind of were talking about at the beginning of the year with the pitchers kind of dealing with a lot of pressure and feeling like they had to be perfect. And, you know, you you can't help but feel that's got to be similar for some of the hitting and for Nick Allen, especially knowing that he's already gone back down where you kind of start feeling that pressure each at bat where I've got to make something happen, got to make something happen. And you don't get to go out there and just really relax where you know, with with hitting, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, but you look at a guy like Chris Davis, who hitting, he was just phenomenal at it. And then, you know, fielding, he really struggled with throwing the ball. And part of it, he said... That's putting it mildly. Just, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, But he just said, like, you know, it was more of a mental thing, and he struggled right. and, and thought about it a lot. And then... You know, we just saw just significant challenges with throwing. Where with hitting, he said it just happened so fast. You don't really get to like think about it. You're just kind of going with it. But if you're putting pressure on yourself and you're not just out there and and feeling the flow, that's going to mess with you. So I think it's great to see Nick Allen going out there, getting those nods and getting uh, some production out of there. And really on some of those, just smacking the laces off of it. Yeah, on Saturday, he got... uh He had a ball that wound up being a double play where he hit a solid shot. I saw the expected batting average was like over 600, and it winds up getting, you know, caught by Jose Altuve, winds up being a double play, but he did his job. And so, you know, that's what you're watching. You're watching these young guys who can grab a job, who can make it exciting to go out there and watch each day. And, you know, when will we go back out and watch and have a big crowd? June 13th for the reverse boycott. So... Thanks for listening to the Winter Hughes podcast. I'm Joe Hughes with my brother Rick. You can find us on Twitter at Vegas Joe Hughes and at Winter Hughes. New episodes every Monday. Make sure to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Winter Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.